You know, as I mentioned last week, um, no, no, uh, probably not a big um, shocker this morning that um, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. And uh, I, I know last week, you know, Paul's words talking about being devoted to prayer and, and um, uh, kind of, you know, was likely to raise the guilt level for most of us because we know that our prayer lives are inadequate. But then he has the nerve going on, uh, following up with that with another topic that's even more guilt-ridden, which is giving. And, and so, you know, we think about that. I'm going to read uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 10. Uh, through 13. And if you have your scripture and want to follow along, this is what God's word says. It says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, Verse 13, which is our focal verse, it says, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. And, you know, it, it's uh, just a blessing to, to be in God's word and to read God's word. And I, I want you to understand something. When I'm talking about generosity and hospitality, I'm going to be referring to God's word, not my word. Okay? So when, we, when we're talking about this, it's his word uh, that is speaking to us, okay? And, and it's convicting to us. And, and it's supposed to be because it's like a mirror. We look in the mirror and we see uh, stuff on our face. We see our hair needs combed or whatever. And so we're able to look in the mirror and to do the things that we need done. And so Paul is calling us to generosity and to hospitality. And, and this, is, this is big because it, it includes sharing our resources but as we consider this touchy subject, let me remind you again that Paul is not motivating us by guilt. He's not trying to make us feel guilty. Paul is saying that if you have experienced, if you have experienced God's mercies in Christ, then it's only reasonable that you give yourself totally to him and live in a manner that is pleasing to him. I mean, God's mercy Receiving, not receiving what we deserve. And to be quite honest, I deserve to be gut shot and left in a ditch somewhere. But God in his love lifted me up and he set my feet on the rock. And for that I am forever grateful. And everything that I have belongs to him. He owns it all. God's mercy and his grace are the motivation to surrender all to Christ, including our money and our possessions. You know, Paul uses the same logic in, in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, when he says this, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord, Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, <laughs> yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. One day, I will be in heaven with the Lord Jesus. And I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm, I'm pretty tired of what's here below. But you know, in the context, Paul is appealing to the Corinthians to be generous 
in, in giving to the church in Jerusalem that is poor. To give to those who are poor. He says, you know, Christ became poor so that you can become rich in him. And, and I love that. The, the appeal is God's grace. In giving himself through Christ on the cross for us when we were spiritually helpless and destitute. That should motivate us to be generous to those who are in need. And the bottom line, as always, is that our generosity would glorify our generous God who gave his own son for us. Paul is saying, by the mercies of God, we are called, to, he calls us to be generous and hospitable. And it is estimated that 15% of everything Jesus said as recorded in the Gospels relates to money or possessions, 15%. He said more about money than he did about heaven and hell combined. According to, to Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle, and he says this as well in this book, he said, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. And I feel like that's a, that's a huge thing that we ought to get. And, and, you know, sometimes that hurts when we hear that. But it's the truth. Because Jesus taught that how we handle money is a litmus test of our faith in him. I think that's big. He said in Luke 16. I don't think I marked this one. In Luke 16.10. He said, he who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. And that verse is often used to talk about how if you're, if you're diligent in your job and they can trust you with a little bit, then you're going to find a more significant job because they'll be able to trust you with more. But, but it's interesting to me, that may be true, but the application overlooks the fact that in context, the very little thing that Jesus is talking about is money. While the much refers to things of eternal value. If he can't trust us with money, then why would he entrust us with eternal life? And it's, it's that kind of thing. It's quite ironic that the thing that for us is a very big deal. Jesus calls a very little thing. If you're faithful in little, then you will be faithful in much. And for him, he's talking about money, the little thing. So the question that we ask ourselves is, am I treasuring stuff and laying up treasures of stuff on earth, or am I treasuring Christ and laying up treasures in heaven by generously promoting his kingdom purposes? Because that is where the bottom line is. Are we about stuff, or are we about eternal stuff? Because that's a, that's a key question. The mercies of God call us to be generous toward the saints. And I don't want you to be ignorant about giving. I don't want you to be ignorant about tithing. I don't want you to be ignorant about any of that. And so this morning, I'm going to lay a lot out here for you. But I want you to know that this is God's word. And God's word is true. And everything in it is for our good. And so when he tells us things that we don't like, it doesn't matter 
that we don't like it. He's telling us for our good. And so, and so as we look at this, verse 13, the first part of verse 13 says, contributing to the needs of the saints. And that word contributing is a familiar Greek word that, that we know of that's called koinonia. And normally that means fellowshipping. Normally that, that means sharing together. And it's used in reference to sharing material goods uh, with, with other people. And it, it talks about that in several places in, in, uh, in Scripture. Um, Acts, Romans, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Philippians, 1 Timothy, Hebrew. I'll give you those references if you want them. But it talks about that in many places in the New Testament. And the word saints here refers to fellow believers. Now it could, re it could refer to fellow believers who may be poor. Maybe they're, 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 you know, they're out of resources or, or whatever because Paul uses that in conjunction with the, the poor Christians in Jerusalem at the time. But then it also could be um, in order to support Christian workers who need support. Maybe missionaries or, or others, pastors or, or, or those who disciple, that kind of thing. But either one, he's saying we need to be generous to the saints, okay, to fellow believers. And by mentioning the saints, Paul's not denying that the, the need of unbelievers, uh, but rather emphasizing that our priority as believers in Jesus Christ, as part of his church, that our priority is and should be toward fellow Christians. In other words, generosity means that we view the needs of others as our own. Wow. That might just shatter some, some you know, American dreams right there. You know, when there's a family crisis... And we are a family. When there is a family crisis, the family rallies together. It's at that time that the family pools their resources. It's time, you know, when there's a family crisis that, that, that people will mortgage their home again. Or they'll take money out of their 401k. Or, or they'll borrow against life insurance in order to help a family member out. They do that. We do that as families. We, we care for our own. And, and, and that's a great thing, but that's what love does, is we take care of each other. And, and, and the person who has authentic love understands that every material blessing is either an instrument or a tool, or it can be a shackle, it can be a burden, it can be something that binds us, because the material can enslave us. See, we can spend everything we have gaining more stuff for ourselves. And when we do this, obviously, we don't have anything left over to share with others. Because we've consumed it all on ourselves. We've, we've just used it all up. When we refuse to be generous, we show that we value stuff over people. I think this is big. I mean, before long, we will begin trusting what we have. And we're looking at it, and we're looking at what's in our bank account. We're looking at what's on the books, and we're like, you know, this is what we have. Rather than looking to the Lord, who is the one who gave it to us. 
See, we become dependent on the stuff rather than the giver of the stuff. And so really that's what Paul's point is, is we need to recognize that we spend all our time building mountains of stuff and we sacrifice our relationships to do so. We work overtime. We pick up an extra shift here or there. We do everything that we can. We may work an extra job. But the idea is, is we're consuming all of that and not being generous with it. See, the generous person invests in people rather than stuff. And being generous is not the same as, you know, it's not, not, not to say that, that you're a softy at every sad story. We all are going through something. I never imagined when I was a kid that I would be paying this much for gas. You didn't either. But what I'm saying is there's things going on in our nation right now that, that we don't have control of, but recognize that, that we all are going through stuff together. We still must evaluate the genuineness of a need and determine the best way to help one another. Sometimes the loving thing is not to bail someone out of a situation. It may be that God is using that situation to draw them closer to himself. The key, however, is our willingness to use what we have been given to help those who are around us that need it. Let me give you some guidelines here from God's word to help evaluate your own generosity. Then we're gonna look at how to grow in generosity and hopefully at the end we'll look at how to pursue hospitality. But listen, generosity is a lifestyle that flows out of an attitude. It's a bit difficult to define since there's a subjective element in generosity. Webster says that it refers to liberality in giving. But you know, what seems generous to one person may seem stingy to another one. I mean, we don't know whether a person is giving sacrificially or out of an overflow of abundance. I mean, sometimes that may be the case. So what may look to us like someone is being stingy they actually may be quite generous if, if they don't have the means, if they're, if they're poor. And on the other hand, we may look at someone that looks like it, they've given a generous gift and it may be stingy if they're extremely wealthy. It may be like they didn't have to sacrifice much at all. So we should not judge others, but seek to please God with our own giving and let him be the judge of others. So quickly, I want to give you four guidelines here for evaluating our generosity. Uh, The first one is a generous person has received God's generous mercy in Christ and it overflows in generosity towards others. I mean, basically the first step in being a generous person is having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because when we receive his mercy, we understand that we need to be a blessing to those around us. I love this. This really gets to, though, our our heart motives for giving. You know, Zach in his testimony, Zach Welsh in his testimony last week, he he was talking about some of those things. You know, there's a lot of wrong motives for giving. I mean, we think about that. It might be pride. It might be our desire for power. Maybe guilt, maybe greed. 
You know, the thought that I give something to God and he's going to give me far more than, than I can possibly handle. So I'm going to give this to God. And, and, and folks, that is a type of greed. It is true that his shovel is bigger than ours. And he has the ability to dump it on us. But you know what? If that's why we're giving, we're giving with the wrong motive. And, and the thing is, 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 you know, it might be pressure or, or responding to gimmicks, but the right motive for giving is that God has mercifully and generously given me eternal life. He's done that through no action of my own. He's done that for me. And, and you know, it's my response out of a desire to please God and glorify him by reflecting his generosity that I become a generous person. So I give. And so we have to ask ourselves, does my life help others to see that my heavenly father is generous? Does my life help others to see that he is generous? Also, a generous person gives cheerfully and thankfully, not grudgingly or under compulsion. You know, um, Paul writes it this way in, in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. He says, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> See, generosity is closely tied with being a cheerful, having a cheerful and thankful attitude. If we're gonna be generous, it starts with a cheerful and thankful attitude. And if it takes pressure tactics or guilt for you to give, then you're probably not giving generously. So we need to ask ourselves, do I give cheerfully and with thankfulness to God for his unspeakable gift to me? See, a generous person gives prayerfully and systematically and faithfully, not impulsively or sporadically. You know, we read the biblical givers, they, they purpose it in their heart is what he, the way he puts it. And they plan to give. And he wrote this in, in 1 Corinthians 16 too. He said, on the first day of every week, each of you should, uh, excuse me, each of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper so that no collections be made when I come. And he's, he's telling them, he wanted them to be thoughtful and systematic in how they give, disciplined with their giving. Not impulsive. Sometimes it doesn't hit us until we walk in the door and we're like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to give. You know, it, prayerfully, think about it beforehand. Prayerfully, systematically, faithfully, not impulsively, not sporadically. And, and, and often it is a response to alleviate our guilt. We, we want to give, but we have to ask ourselves, do I give prayerfully? Am I praying over this? Am I, do I give systematically? Do I give faithfully? See, a generous person also gives as the Lord has prospered with their sights on eternity. See, I think that's a significant silence that Paul has that he never wrote to the Gentile churches to explain the need to tithe. I think this is interesting. Rather, the standard is, as he may prosper. If the Lord prospered you, so that you, don't, so that you have enough money to provide for your family, then don't use the extra to buy more stuff 
Use it to give generously to God's work and his kingdom purposes. Use it to genuinely help needy saints. See, the reason a generous person does this is that he realizes that whatever he lays up here on earth will be lost. But whatever he lays up in heaven will be his eternally. See, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, verse 19. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, Randy Alcorn He said this, and this is significant. He said, but when Jesus warns us not to store up treasures on earth, it's not just because treasures might be lost. It's because wealth will always be lost. Either it leaves us while we live or we leave it when we die. But either way, it's going to be lost unless you store it in heaven. And how do you do that? You do that by investing in kingdom purposes. You do that by being generous and giving to those in need around you. I think this is big because as God prospers me, do I look for ways to give more or do I look for ways to spend more? It's a mindset, it's an attitude, and we're to be generous in that. And so I want to give you real quickly also five ways to grow in generosity. And the first one is yield all your money, all your possessions to the Lord, and manage them toward his kingdom purposes. It's not yours. It's his. God owns everything On the earth, in the earth, everything belongs to him. And all he's asking is for us to use what he's given us to provide for our needs and then to store that treasure in heaven. He owns it all. And he's entrusted each one of us with a little, an amount that we use for his purposes until he returns. But understand this, we will give an account we will give an account Jesus made it clear you can either serve God or you can serve wealth but you can't serve both so we have to view ourselves as managers not as owners and keep the owner's objectives in view since his aim is to have disciples from every nation and every tribe at the throne in heaven His purpose is to make sure that we bring people from every nation and every tribe there through sharing the gospel with them, through discipling them. And the idea, though, is we have to keep mammon and wealth from its gradual encroachment. And in order to do that, I need to constantly reaffirm God as the owner of all that is, especially owner of all that I have and that you have. 
Secondly, I would say this, get a job. If you don't have a good job, get a job and work hard to earn so that you can give. See, the American dream is that we get a good paying job so we can pile up money and stuff for our own pleasure. But Paul gives us this instruction in Ephesians 4.28. He says this, he says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor. That's work, that's J-O-B. Performing with his own hands what is good so that he will have something to share with one who has need. (laughs) See, a thief who merely stops stealing hasn't dealt with the laziness and the greed that led him to steal. To deal with laziness and greed, the former thief needs to work so he has extra so that he can give some of that away to others who have a need. See, your primary responsibility is to provide for your own needs and those of your family. And Paul doesn't mince words with us when he says in 1 Timothy 5, 8, he says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Even unbelievers work and provide for their own families. And I would say as believers, we should do We shouldn't do any less. But once your family's needs are met, you should think about and pray about how the Lord may want you to invest in eternity rather than just to run out and buy some more stuff. See, I know, I know this is hard because we live in a consumeristic society where that's what we do. We consume things. We buy them, we consume them, we throw them away. We buy them, we consume them, we throw them away. And we go through this cycle all the time. And I want to say number three is to begin a lifelong war against greed. Greed is a heart matter. Paul equated greed to idolatry. In Colossians 3, 5, he said this, He said, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Folks, that's not a minor sin. God said, you shall have no other gods before me. And if we're eaten up with greed, then we're putting greed, we're putting that on the altar. We're, we're worshiping that rather than Almighty God. I mean, Jesus, he warned us in Luke 12, uh, verse 15. He said, then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. See, all the ads that, that continually bombard us are designed to feed our greed. The advertisers want us to think that we can't be happy unless we buy their product. And they're selling it, hard selling it every day, all the time, so that we will go out and buy whatever it is they're, they're advertising. But even after we've got their stuff, it's never enough, and there's always something else. See, the opposite of greed is contentment. 
Hebrews 13.5 encourages us, make sure that your character is free of the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself, Jesus, has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. And Paul said in, in 1 Timothy 6.8, he said, if we have food and covering, clothing, with these we shall be content. And then he went on to warn in, in uh, the, the next verses, he says, but those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief griefs excuse me so a major part of fighting greed is finding our contentment in Jesus Christ not in stuff Fourth, I want to tell you, get out of debt. Get out of debt, live frugally, and establish a savings buffer. See, debt goes hand in hand with greed because it feeds off greed by giving us what we want now rather than making us wait for it or making us earn it. It gives us what we want right now. And so debt almost always reflects impulsiveness which is the opposite of self-control, a fruit of the Spirit. It usually reflects mismanagement and irresponsibility, which are not marks of a good manager. And the reality is this, you can't be generous in giving if you're in debt. You're bound by your debtors. You cannot be generous in giving if you're in debt. You need to develop a plan, pay off the debt to your creditors, live carefully within your means, and have a savings account for upcoming bills and unforeseen emergencies. But folks, this requires discipline. It, re- it requires us to stick to it. And a lot of times, at the, at the, the least sign of trouble, we go the path of least resistance. But the reality is also this, you won't get out of debt unless you spend less than you earn you won't be free to be generous if you don't get out of debt number five give faithfully generously and regularly off the top of your paycheck if you if you wait to give see how much you have left over after everything else you're not going to give anything You have to plan how much the Lord wants you to give and give it off the top before you spend it. And you say, well, how much should I give? If the tithe was the standard under the law, it would seem that under grace, we should give more, not less than 10%. See, the the New Testament standard is if the Lord prospers you more, then you give more. Keep working at growing in generosity for the glory of the Lord. I did expect an amen from our treasurer on that one, okay? The tithe is the minimum. When he prospers you more, you give more. My second point, and I'm almost done here. The mercies of God call us to pursue hospitality. 
See, the command to show hospitality is an extension of the command to be generous, but it also includes strangers. Being able to invite people into your home, being able to provide for them, maybe cook a meal, maybe do some things. 1 Peter 4, 9 says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hebrews 13, 2 says, we are told, don't forget to entertain strangers because in doing so, some have entertained angels without knowing it. And remember the parable that that Jesus told in Matthew 25, he said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was imprisoned and you visited me. The best way to show our love for Jesus is to extend hospitality to others. You know, in Paul's day, this seems like it was so much more important than in our own. I mean, in those days, there were no restaurants. There were no hotels like we have today. And people traveling often had little and they maybe could not afford uh, the inn or the lodging uh, of the day. And, and at time when, when Christians were, were being dispersed throughout all of the world, it was all more important to show hospitality to people especially believers. And so, you know, traveling ministers, including Jesus, depended on the hospitality of others. When we open our homes up and our hearts to another person, to other people, we extend a special blessing. There is an intimacy, a warmth, that comes from sharing a meal together. It's no accident that the Bible talks about heaven as a heavenly banquet. At that time, we will be welcomed, praise the Lord, into the house of God, and we will feel more loved and more at home than at any other time in our lives. See, this is the kind of hospitality God wants from his children. And so I asked the question, when was the last time you invited someone over for dinner or included someone in your family celebrations? 25 years ago, we moved to Texas. I pastored a little church north of town here at Willow Grove. There was a retired school teacher who was a fine pianist for the church. And she invited our entire family over to their house. There were seven of us. Most people aren't looking to bring in seven people into their home. If you have a child, maybe one, maybe two, seven of us. And they were, they were little. Our youngest one was two. But they invited us to come to their house during their monthly family celebrations with the Burris family. Oh, man. In April, we flew kites out in the yard. We, we had fish fries. We, we played horseshoes. We played, you know, um, washers. We, we did all kinds of things with their family celebrations. We were 2,200 miles from anybody we knew. They invited us in every month. Wasn't a big deal. Kids played together, we, we had fellowship, but what a significant way to minister 
to strangers. I want to say foreigners from Oregon. But the idea is they nurtured us. They showed hospitality. They showed us what it looks like and what a joy it has been. See, the idea is that we ought to go after or pursue opportunities to show the love of Christ by welcoming people into our homes. And Paul's exhortation here is clear. Hospitality is our obligation. It is one of the manifestations of the Christian's love for each other that we would show hospitality to each other. You know, one way that you can practice hospitality is to open your home to maybe traveling missionaries or visiting missionaries. You and your children will be blessed by the experience. You'll form a bond with them. It will help you to pray better for them when they go back on the field. Another way might be if you, if you have room, you could take in maybe an international student or an orphan for a semester, for, you know, for a year, that kind of thing. What a great thing. They're, they're miles and miles away from home. It'd be a great opportunity. See, we need everyone at Memorial. Also, keeping an eye out for new people that are here and making them feel warm and welcomed and at home. See, if you're able to do it, invite somebody new. After church, over to your home for a meal. You don't have to make a huge fuss about your home and being in perfect order and all that. You'll, if you do that, you'll never get around to hospitality. But now, on the other hand, if your house is a perpetual disaster zone, maybe you need to clean it up a little bit. Just a word for those who need it. I'm about done here, but I'm going to invite our worship team to come back and uh, lead us in a couple more songs. But, you know, our church... Our church takes on a different look when we begin to see what Scripture calls for and then practice it. Instead of focusing on buildings and and budgets and programs and structures, the real focus is twofold. Maintain a steady and joyous walk with Christ and seek opportunities to minister to others through prayer, participation in their needs, and hospitality. If we get those two right, we're doing great. But I feel like we have some more work to do. Nothing complicated here, just faithfulness in living as a Christian in the body of Christ. But folks, that's body life. That's what we're here for. We're here to encourage each other. Not tear one another down. We're not adversaries. We're here to encourage each other in our walk of faith and in helping each other minister to one another, meeting needs as needed. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that it would be said of each one of us that we are generous and hospitable.